Well, hello there. It was kind of weird not leading worship. Done that for a few weeks in a row. It's great to have Dave up here in his amazing, gifted voice and electric and all that. We are continuing in our first Thessalonians. Uh, really, it's Thessalonians series, and, and we're going to again start from First Thessalonians today. We're going to talk on a subject that I just entitled The End, a subject that I think is is at the peak of a lot of people's curiosity, definitely a question people ask. Uh, but first, let me give you a quick recap. Uh, we've hit for four weeks now, four weeks, maybe three previous weeks, I don't know. But anyway, this is the first book uh, written ultimately. Paul wrote this book after he was ushered out quickly being persecuted in Thessalonica. And this church was very young when he left. And he jetted out of the community and was writing back very affectionately. He had a deep love for these people, was encouraging them how to live for Christ, was encouraging them to pray continually, just a bunch of good content that we've hit on. But it's interesting as this is ultimately the first New Testament writing from someone who uh, was trying to communicate to the church. And so we get some great insights as to the issues that he was addressing. And today is, is a continuation of those issues, uh, one of the most addressed subjects in actually the New Testament. Let's jump in. 1 Thessalonians 5, 9 through 11, which is on the top of your handout. There's a few blanks on your handout today you can fill in or just draw funny pictures uh, whatever, uh, but, but it'll help you. some of you focus that are fill-in-the-blank types. Uh, verse 9 says, God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with Him. Therefore, encourage and build each other up. Encourage one another and build each other up just as, in fact, you are doing. He had had the report that they were encouraging and building one another up, but he was encouraging them that they were appointed not to suffer, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. So this subject, Paul hits on in the writing, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, we believe all scriptures God-breathed and useful for teaching, right? That it was inspired by God, not written by man alone, but under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. So he was writing this and in every section of First Thessalonians, he refers to the end of the age. He refers to this moment, this blessed hope, as it's called in Titus, where, where the Lord will return for those who are following Him. In fact, it's interesting, this instance of the Lord's return is referred to over 300 times in the New Testament. One in 26 verses. We'll touch on it very intriguing subject because it was such a common theme for the people so close to Jesus' death and resurrection that he, they were continually referring to it. It was a common theme in their communication in that time. In fact, people began to question Christ's return because it was such um, it was such an emphasis in their teaching and preaching that people began to die and they were like, well, Jesus hasn't come back. That person chose to follow Jesus, but Jesus didn't return, and now they're dead. What do we do? And so that's why there's this teaching of being awake in Christ and being asleep in Christ 
And we begin to, to learn as they're navigating, yeah, I guess Jesus has not come back yet. Man, when is He going to do this? They all assumed, because they saw and, and heard testimony from direct people who were with Jesus as He ascended into heaven, as recorded in Acts 1. They heard from these people that, man, we're going we're gonna to see Jesus come back just as He ascended into heaven. That's what the angels told us this day. And they're going, He's going to come back. Keep watch. Be ready. And yet they died, and He didn't. And so now Paul's like trying to navigate that. Kind of an interesting subject. I, I, I like jumping in, and, and it's still an interesting subject today. What happens when we die? Is Jesus coming back? What's going to happen when Jesus comes back? A question we tend to fill in the blanks with mythical kind of man-made theology. And it almost feels good at times. It's like, have you ever been in that situation where you felt like a lie was the right thing to say? You know, it's just a little lie, so it's okay. Uh, Caught ourselves doing it last night, I'll confess, we're definitely not perfect. My son is not your average kid that would like see McDonald's and go, uh, so he's two years old, doesn't like say words really, and, uh, but when we do see McDonald's, he will go, uh, but he can't eat most of that food. Uh, what, where we were at last night at Office Depot coming out of the parking lot, he saw Panda Express and he was all about that. So he's throwing a fit, right? Uh, 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 you want to go there for dinner? Yeah. And we said it. It's not open right now. <sighs> you know what I'm saying? It's that little moment where you're like, that's so not true. They're like open late now. That's why we got the free orange chicken last Friday. You know, you're just like, this is not cool. We just told a lie, you know. But it's so, at times, you're just like, you'll throw something out there that's just not true. Well, we tend to do that around people who are, are facing death or have had a loved one die just to kind of make them feel better, you know? But then we're opening ourselves up to some things that we were never intended to open ourselves up to, you know? People like, you know, they're, they're losing a loved one, and, and, and we say things like, uh, you know, oh, that's okay. They're looking down on you with a smile. And if you study Scripture, they're not looking down on you because there's no sorrow in heaven, if they're looking down on us, we're going to make them pretty sad at times because <laughs> we make wrong choices, right? So theologically, like the whole we're looking down on you thing, or, or they're with you. Really? Seriously? Like you think that? You know? So they're a ghost now? Theologically, where do we find that? You know, we say things. It's like, oh, be comforted. You know, whenever you turn, they'll be right there. Well, that's kind of creepy if you kind of think about it, you know. It's like, who's next to you? Oh, that's just the ghost of everybody I've ever known who's dead. So it sounds insensitive, and I'm probably offending somebody, but reality is that's just not the way it plays out, and we're going to look at this a little bit today. If we start believing all that stuff, we're going to find ourselves at some point in time taking Fluffy's collar to some weird duck that's going to tell us something. You know, I'm going to channel your loved one. You know, and that's, you can go down some weird roads if you're trying to find them because they're here with you, and I just want to hear from them. Side note, if you ever do get exposed to that type of moment where you have Fluffy's collar and somebody's like talking as if they're the dead one you're trying to channel, um, notice how all that they're referring to is historical. 
See, we're never intended to dive into that arena of the supernatural, that, that divination, that stuff. Scripture talks a lot about it. I'm not going into that today. But it does warn us to not go into that because the supernatural is very real. But when channeling history, demonic spirits and stuff that people would channel to hear those voices, all they can reference is the past. That's all they have to go off. The, the devil doesn't have access to the future. Only God does and the Holy Spirit does. So be careful. Don't expose yourself to those things. Don't get yourself into that zone. So if we want to really be theologically correct and, and not, not just offend people who are really worried or fearful of death or have a loved one who's passing or has passed and we're trying to share hope and be encouragers, um, how can we do it in a scripturally accurate way? That's kind of what I, I, I want to apply, and I think that's how we can apply all the content in First and Second Thessalonians as it concerns uh, the end, if you will. Let's look at First Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18, and well, this is on your handout. Brothers, we do not want you to be ignorant, but about those who fall asleep, which means, you know, who die. So, we do not want you to be ignorant about those who fall asleep or to grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. We believe that Jesus died and rose again, And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in Him. According to the Lord's own word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left till the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord Himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage each other with these words. Man, Brad Pitt has nothing on this moment, right? The apocalypse, the whole like zombie thing is huge right now. You know, there's all these movies out there. People are so focused on it. Um, but this is really weird. Uh, the, this is really saying, you, you did read it correctly with me. This is really saying that the dead will rise first. So if Jesus returns while you and I are a living and we've chose to follow Jesus within our time we're living, Jesus is coming down. We see it. There's like a loud call from an archangel, trumpet blasts, and we're like, wow, this is the moment. There's a dead person. Whoa. You know what I'm saying? This is just going to be like, can you imagine if it was in slow motion, like the ultimate 3D movie, you know, thriller, people are coming up out of the grave and then they're ascending into heaven. Well, it's not quite what it's going to look like. Um, And luckily we have the passage in 1 Corinthians 15, uh, verse 52 that says, in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we will be changed. So hopefully it's like really in a blink so that we don't get creeped out, right? Because it's like, I don't, 
I'm going to go hang with the dead people next. Check this out. Wouldn't that be cool if you had time to tell your friend, oh, look, dead people in the air. Hey, watch, I'm next, right? And I toyed with the idea of showing you one of the fake rapture videos from YouTube, but they were all too long, and I have too much content. But you should just go rapture pranks on YouTube. Pretty funny. Uh, but some people get really freaked out when you pull that joke on them, so just don't show your kids. Uh, here we go. Some of you teens are here, and you're going to totally do that to someone who's, like, obsessed with the rapture. Uh, what should we be grasping from these passages? Um, how, like, what's applicable today? What are we going to be able to use during the week from this text? I mean, it's so prevalent. Uh, how can we help those who are fearful of death or questioning the end of the age or what happens when you die? Here's, here's two things we need to grab today. The first thing is very clear in that, the text there in uh, 1 Thessalonians 5.9, we are appointed to receive salvation. We're appointed to receive salvation. We were not destined to suffer. I mean, that's not God's intent for us. We were not intended to, to mourn or, or fear death the way uh, those who are without Christ fear death. We'll talk more about that in a second. But uh, we were appointed to salvation, the saving of our soul, eternal life uh, with Jesus. When, when we die, we cross from, from death to life. And, and this promise is exemplified by the very resurrection of Christ and the way it, it happened uh, so those who, it says, are dead in Christ, it, it says those who have fallen asleep in Him will rise. So salvation occurs prior to death. That's important, and we all know that that can happen at any moment. Uh, maybe you've been in an evangelistic crusade or some environment where they said, if you walk outside today and you're hit by a semi and, you know, I was taking my kids to VBS this week, and uh, I was just a couple seconds from our house and was the first one to drive up and see the remnants of a car accident, and an elderly lady was in very bad condition, trapped in a car. We couldn't get the car open. I jumped out to help, and, and I just look at that, and I, it just puts that reality, man, she was T-boned just brutally, and you don't know. You have no idea. But this is teaching when your time is coming. But this is teaching salvation needs to precede death because those who fell asleep in him will rise. If you want to be one of the apocalypse, you know, if you want to be one of the dead who go first, make sure you choose Jesus, right? Uh, second point, this is kind of a funny point. Uh, second point, so we're appointed to receive salvation. Second thing is, is we're equipped to encourage it's referred to in both those First Thessalonians passages, five, First Thessalonians five and First Thessalonians four. Hey, encourage one another, build one another up. We're to be encouragers. We're to be those who are filled with hope, not fear. We're to be those who build one another up. Our sharing the hope we have in Jesus is not meant to be a means of growing the church. I think often we're really good sharers of church. We're really good at inviting people to church, but have we, like, skipped that step of sharing the hope we have in Christ? Man, shouldn't we share the hope? 
I mean, maybe somebody's going to say to you, I'm not a church person. And open life, by the way, is designed for that person. But anyway, uh, but if they say, I'm not a church person, should, should that be the first thing we're trying to present is church? Or are we trying to lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus, which comes by sharing hope? I think that's our choice. I think that's what we want to do. We want to share hope. We want to make Jesus known, right? We want to be, have the evidence of, of the life transformation that a relationship with Jesus shows. We want that to be what's our first proclaimed thing, not I proclaim I go to church. That could be interpreted wrong, but ask me afterwards during the Connect time, and I could define it further. The reality is we want to be hope builders, not just church builders. Now, it results in us coming together to be equipped and celebrate what God is doing, which is church. But we are the church. We're supposed to go out and be the church, and that is our bringing the hope of a growing relationship with Jesus to others. Um, this is really defined clearly as we unpack the text. I mean, ultimately, we're to be those who are the lights around us. Life is better while awake with Jesus, and surely, while we're asleep in Jesus, it's better as well, according to this text. So, we've been given the Word in order that we may not fall prey, as it'll talk about. I'll close with a passage from from Thessalonians that will dialogue about this, but we've been given the Word so that we won't fall prey to uh, a lot of the weird teachings that come around that even we saw this last year. You know, the Mayan calendar says the world's going to end, and that freaked people out. I had a kid call me from my first youth ministry and say, uh, that? It's like, yeah? Okay, I know I haven't talked to you for a really long time, and I haven't lived a life that probably you were hoping I'd live but I'm really freaked out. Is the world really going to end? <laughs> I was like, this is awesome, you know? I'm having this great conversation with this guy because he thought the Mayans were right, like he was ready for it, uh, kind of, but not ready. He's like, I don't know what to do. So what does the Bible teach us so that we don't get all freaked out about weird stuff like that? The first thing, Jesus is the way to eternal life. Jesus is the way to eternal life. No longer should we fear death. Let me rattle off some passages here. God so loved the world, John 3.16 says, God so loved the world that He gave us His one and only Son that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. Right? So we don't perish. We have eternal life. John 3.18 goes on to say, whoever believes in Him is not condemned but whoever does not believe, stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. And then it concludes in John 3, 6, 36, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on him. So if we want to not fear death and wrath, then we choose to follow Jesus. But it's not just for life insurance, it's to live life to the full as we unpack further in Scripture. So let me read an expert, for, uh, excerpt, that's a weird word. Anyway, let me read something uh, from a book that I actually read once a year. 
uh, from cover to cover. It's not that exciting of a read, but those of you who like studying may enjoy it. Uh, it's called Bible Doctrines by William Menzies and Stanley Horton. I actually really like this book because it helps me stay rooted to like what I really believe the Bible teaches. I love studying the, the doctrines and just making sure like I'm not picking some just weird path of choice, but I'm really believing what the Bible teaches. Uh, in a section called The Blessed Hope, uh, it says the resurrection of those who have fallen asleep in Christ and their translation together with those who are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord is the imminent and blessed hope of the church. So in this section about that doctrine, uh, he says this, until the victory of Jesus on the cross, the whole human race was held in slavery by the fear of death. Hebrews 2, 14 through 15 says, since the children have flesh and blood, uh, he too shared in their humanity so that by his death he might destroy him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by the fear of death. So Jesus gives us freedom, right? It continues. But Jesus, by his death, defeated the devil and removed God's wrath that was against us because of our sins. Then he was raised to life for our justification. So now we're innocent, right? According to the rule of law. Before a judge are justified, we're justified. Death, therefore, it continues, holds no terror for the believer. Because we are justified, we live in fellowship with Christ. We can say with the Apostle Paul, to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain, Philippians 1.21, or that is to die uh, is gain in Christ, to die is more of Christ, for we will be at home with the Lord, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.8. Paul's real hope was in the resurrection of the believers at the coming of the Lord. Notice how he commended the Thessalonians because they had turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for the Son from, uh, from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath, 1 Thessalonians 1, 9 through 10. This was the central theme of preaching in the early church, Jesus' resurrection, and how his resurrection also becomes the guarantee of ours. Jesus is the way to eternal life. The second thing we can discover in Scripture is while we may die in body or physical form, our spirit and soul is immediately with the Lord to be reunited with our body at the resurrection or as some call it, the rapture. So this is controversial. Once you start studying it, there's people who believe like maybe you go to like some spirit dwelling place like Middle Land and you chill there until Jesus comes back. And, you know, so there's a lot of different teachings and you've probably all been brought up in a different insight of this or had a different interpretation of this. So let me show you the text that kind of holds to this reality. Luke 23, 43, Jesus is on the cross. There's two prisoners with him. One's mocking Jesus and the other says, knock it off, shut it, you know. Uh, this is the Son of God. And Jesus says to the one prisoner, he answered him in, in Luke 23, 43, I tell you the truth, today you will be with me in paradise. And this one passage is the strongest uh, source that this doctrine comes from to believe that instantly we'll be with the Lord because he says there, today you will be with me in paradise. Not, hey, 
That's a really cool thing you said. I get, you know what? You're going to be gone for a long time, but I'm coming back in a while. And at that point in time, we're going to reconnect, okay, you and me. I got your digits, man. You know, that's not what he says. He's not, he says today, like when you die and I die, we're going to be together, and it's going to be in paradise. It's one of the strongest occurrences of this in Scripture. Jesus was no longer in body when he was in the grave. Jesus ascended to heaven. Prisoner was there too, obviously, according to that text. And, and, and then he came back in resurrection form to show us exactly what's going to happen to us because he resurrected from the dead and then ascended into heaven. So we'll do some more digging and see even more of this. 2 Corinthians 5 says this in verse 6, Therefore we are always confident and know that as long as we're at home in the body, we're away from the Lord. We live by faith, not by sight. We're confident, I say, and would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. Or Philippians 1.23 says, I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. To be away from the body is to be present with the Lord. If we, if we believe the that to be away from the body, if we die, we just kind of chill there with our body until the Lord returns, and then we raise from the grave and ascend to meet Jesus then, we would never be away from the body. Does that make sense? So that's where that belief comes from, and it's, it's very intriguing as you study it deeper. John 14, 1 through 4 says this, uh, do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would not have told you. I am going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. Speaking of himself obviously in that text. So the third thing we can discover here, we must be ready and watchful. The Bible paints a picture of being aware and really urging us to have a sense of urgency about this appointment to salvation. Like we need to be those that would just be hungry to make our hope known and just encouragers of everyone and look for opportunities to encourage. Matthew 24, 36 says, no one knows about the day or hour, not even the Mayans. It says right here. I'm just kidding. It doesn't say that. But, uh, no one knows about the day or hour, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Matthew 24, 40 says, two men will be in a field. One will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding with a hand mill. One will be taken and the other left. Therefore, keep watch. Keep watch, it says, because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. But understand this. If the owner of the house had known at what time of night the thief would come, he would have kept watch and would not have let his house be broken into. So you also must be ready, because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect it. So we won't just be able to go all of a sudden like, this is the time, this is the time. You hear that all the time. 
Depending on what TV you watch, there's always somebody saying, the Lord's going to return. This is it. This is Obama's the devil. You know, and they're like, impeach, whatever, you know. Yeah, yeah, that's crazy stuff. But yeah, you you do. You have those people all over the place, and they're like, oh, this is it, the end of the world. I can't believe this ruling just came into place. Whoa, the end of the world. That shouldn't be us. We have hope. End of the world is eternity with Jesus if we're following him. So, that whole like doomsday thing doesn't really fly. And if I had more time, I'd even look at this element when it says, therefore, watch. If you understand the Scripture and watchmen, they were to be those who were on the walls of the traditional cities. And they were literally watching out for distraction and the enemy and promise. And they were the proclaimers of that to everyone else in the city. And that's God's role for us in our city. We're supposed to be those who are at watch and proclaimers of hope. We're to be the encouragers of people. We're the watchmen. Keep watch. Finally, point four, Jesus is coming again. Pretty simple. You probably filled that in already. Jesus is coming again. And from the text we've already read, and I packed all the verses that we've read or referenced in your handout so you can study them further on this sub- if this subject really stirs you up. Uh, Jesus is coming again personally, unexpectedly, in glory, it says in Matthew 16, 27, the Son of Man is going to come in His Father's glory with His angels, and then He will reward each person according to what He has done. So we don't earn salvation, right, by doing things, but we're rewarded by what we've done. And then He'll come back physically. So personally, unexpectedly, in glory, and physically. And we know this because Acts 1.11, Jesus is with his disciples. He's rose from the dead. He's sitting there on the mountain, and he, he's ascending into heaven. And, and there's angels in the crowd, and they say, Men of Galilee, in Acts 1.11, they said, uh, Why do you stand here looking into the sky? The same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. So Jesus is coming back physically for us. Wow, interesting stuff, huh? Let me read this, uh, 2 Thessalonians 2. I might not read all the way to to verse 12, but in 2 Thessalonians 2, uh, it says this, Concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered to Him, we ask you, brothers, not to become easily unsettled or alarmed. Because again, they were like, people are dying and Jesus isn't back. It says, don't become easily unsettled or alarmed by some prophecy, report, or letter supposed to have come from us saying that the day of the Lord has already come. Don't let anyone deceive you in any way, for that day will not come until the rebellion occurs and the man of lawlessness comes up. And there's a whole bunch more teaching out of this if we were to go into all the millennial reign of Christ and all these things. Don't you remember, he says in verse 5, that when I was with you, I used to tell you these things? We should encourage one another. We should be telling each other these things about our hope of eternal life. It's a good thing to tell people. It's a good thing to share that we have salvation and that salvation is a process. We're being saved. We're in the process, this journey of growing in a relationship with Jesus. You don't arrive. 
When you choose to follow Jesus and, and, and you check that box on a connection card or you raise your hand in a service or you pray and, and say, okay, Jesus, I want to grow in relationship with you. I'm making this choice. You're going to be my Lord. And we begin to grow in that relationship. It doesn't end until you're face-to-face. Until the day comes when you're face-to-face with Jesus. You've ascended into heaven. Whether in spirit before his return or whether we're awake and Jesus comes back in our day and we get to see all this take place. How cool will that be? Be wearing Google glasses. We'll see the whole thing and record it by blinking twice or something. I don't know how those even work. It'll be awesome. Actually, we won't be able to take the glasses with us, but... First Thessalonians 5, 9, let me remind you. In fact, this is a great, on the back of your connection card, you have things that responses that you can make and we're going to sing a song here and just want you to reflect on the talk and make the choice that fits you. Maybe in that blank you want to write on the left hand side of what your next step is. Maybe you want to write that you're going to memorize 1 Thessalonians 5 9. It would be a great passage to have in your heart. It says, for God did not appoint us to suffer wrath but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's good to know. And I'm going to pray right now. And if you've never made the choice to follow Jesus, if you've never made that decision, I, I want salvation. This is a great moment because I would love for you to walk out from this place with that assurance and that lack of fear that comes in that growing relationship. God, we thank you for the opportunity we have to worship you and uh, and to come and grow through your word and that you instruct us in all these things. I pray for those today, Lord, that have yet to choose to follow you. And maybe right now, they're just in their heart. Their response today, the right action for them is to invite you into their life, to be their Lord. And they're choosing to to start a relationship with you and that'll never stop growing. It's a continual process, but today being that moment where they choose to follow Jesus, we'd love to celebrate with them. As well, God, there's others in this room that are are just being challenged by maybe their experience with loved ones who've died or they're thinking of a particular person who's sick or a neighbor who they've yet to share hope with or uh, but they've felt that nudge but just haven't taken that step to faithfully share. God, I pray for courage and boldness on us so that we could be sharers of hope, not just sharers of church, but sharers of hope. We could have you on our lips. We can have that promise of eternal life on our lips. And you could use us all over the community as watchmen in this city. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Why don't you contemplate your response as the worship team sings here.